Please stand for the reading of the word of God. I'll be reading from Matthew 13, 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great crowd gathered about him so that, so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell along thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, and some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Glad you guys are here. Listen, we're going to stop and uh, pause on our series on Romans for a while. In fact, we're going to take a four-week series uh, talking about the pictures of the kingdom, which we'll get to in a second. And then after that, we're going to have a series where we are going to ask you guys what are topics, what are things that you've always wanted to hear about from the Bible um, in a biblical perspective of something. We're going to have a... Um, a number that you can text in your questions and what we're going to be able to do, or your topics, we're going to take the top four of those and then take a series on, on that, and then we'll get back into Romans. And we'll start Romans again, I believe it's around May or June, and we'll take Romans all the way to the very last Sunday of November, and then we're going to be done with Romans, like, forever. Um, and then we'll be done after two years. So anyways, but now we're going to look at the pictures of the kingdom. So if you guys have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, and if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it raised really high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Um, as you can tell, hopefully by the water trough and by all the baptism shirts that we have on, today is a baptism Sunday which we are excited about, uh, very, very excited about. Um, one for me, on a practical level, I get to wear a t-shirt and preach in it, and no one's going to tell me not to wear that. Um, some of you guys are probably here for the first time last week for Easter, and you're going, hey, where's your tie? <laughs> I normally wear a tie. <laughs> Every Easter, uh, I normally wear a tie. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we're excited about that, and so we'll get a chance to hear from some uh, parables over the next four weeks. Uh, particularly today, we'll look at the parable of what is known as the parable of the sower, uh, but we'll see it's really about the soil for the most part. And then afterwards, we'll be able to um, join in the celebration um, in this service as we take communion together as well as baptism. So we get to practice two sacraments today of communion as well as baptism. So we're excited about that. Let me kind of give you the background, the context of where we're at. Um, so the pictures of the kingdom, why we titled this series this way is we believe in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives us four parables that gives us a snapshot of the kingdom of his kingdom that he has entered in through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the spirit, and a kingdom that is not yet fully. Um, he shows us how the kingdom grows. He showed us what the kingdom is like just in a picture. And what that means is parables in themselves are stories, and they take abstract truth and they communicate them in concrete ways. And there's two things that Jesus says these parables are doing. One of the things that it's doing, it's actually concealing the truth from those who have rejected 
meaning those who Jesus had been preaching to and preaching to, they've rejected it. And we'll talk about that. And to many who were saying, Jesus, teach me more, it's revealing deeper mysteries of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is breaking in through the power of the gospel. And so you'll hear Jesus talk about a few things. One, he'll talk about the sower. And that's anyone who proclaims the gospel. That's any person. That's not just a preacher. That's anybody who loves Christ, who tells people about the good news of his life, his death, and his resurrection. Second thing you will hear is the seed. And the seed in this particular parable represents the power of God's word. And that is the gospel, the good news of Christ. And how it's not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that we can create. All we do is spread it. And the seed in itself has the power, and it's the power of God. And then lastly, you have the soils. And the soils represent human hearts. What happens when the sower preaches the gospel, the, the seed, is on the soil? What happens to it? And so what we're looking at this morning in particular is what is it that produces fruit? Or what is it that produces in someone's life the ability to have a kingdom life or a kingdom living? And what Jesus lets us know is it's only by embracing the gospel and letting the gospel sink deep into our lives that we're able to produce fruit in response to his love. But what he gives us before that picture are three things that thwart thwart it. Three things. And we're going to talk about looking at the soil, how it's a hard heart, um, a rootless heart, and then a distracted heart. So a hard heart, a rootless heart, a distracted heart, and then finally a dedicated heart. And so that's what we'll pick up um, this morning um, in Jesus' teaching here to his people. So I'm going to pick up here in verse 10. And then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he who... And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they see with their, ear, their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Would you pray with me? God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, for those of us in this room who have walked with you for a while, who trust in you, God, that even showing up on a Sunday service is something that we greatly enjoy to gather with the believers of Christ. God, that you would teach us something new of yourself, something, remind us of something afresh, the gospel today. And for those of us, Lord, who have hard hearts, rootless hearts, distracted hearts, that you would lead us into repentance, that we too may have eyes to see and ears to hear. Illuminate your word, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so here's, here's the unique thing about pictures, right? You guys have all taken pictures, and now with phones, everyone has a picture. And you can tell everybody a story in a picture. Not, not the full story, but enough. And when Jesus is talking in parables, we believe he's given kind of a snapshot. Not the full exhaustive understanding of what the kingdom of God is like, but a picture. And if I told you a story, you can understand a little bit. And if I showed you a picture, you go, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
Um, I can tell you a story how a couple years ago, um, maybe two Christmases ago, I took my family here in Arizona, my wife and two kids, and we flew to Tennessee and rented a cabin with my whole uh, side of the family, and how Holly uh, was the only white person there. And, like, literally she was like a marshmallow and a big old bowl of, like, cocoa, right? <laughs> no. I can tell you that story, and you can go, oh, I kind of see what that looks like, or I can show you a picture. <laughs> it's like in elementary school, they show you those pictures, like, who doesn't belong, <laughs> right? <laughs> she's smiling, and underneath she's like, oh, <laughs> this is bigger than I thought. And I always say, hey, now you know how I feel, right? <laughs> so that, there, there's a picture, right? And that tells you, like, you see, I can go through, oh, that's my mom. I can tell you all these pictures. You can give an understanding of, oh, yeah, she was, like, the only one. And, and unless you put both my kids together and go, there was 100% of them. I mean, like, so maybe, right? But in that moment, my kids are like, sorry, mom. It's clear that right now this is not a, you know, we're black today. <laughs> we were all. <laughs> so you can see that picture. Now, here's the context with Jesus. Jesus now, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been teaching the Gospel primarily to Jewish people. In fact, all the four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have a unique audience in which the writer is writing to. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And when you read throughout his Gospel, you see that most of the things he he writes about are uniquely Jewish. And so Jesus comes to his own, as was prophesied, and he shares about the kingdom, and he shares about the Gospel. And people reject it, and they reject it, and they reject it. You get to chapter 11, and Jesus says, you know what, come to me. Um, My burden is light, my yoke is easy, follow me. Come to me, you will find rest. And then the beginning and all of chapter 12, you see Jesus is healing people on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, these were like the religious of the most religious people. They are the epitome of what the unbelief and rejection is like of the people of Israel. And in chapter 12, they see Jesus healing on the Sabbath. They rebuke him. And then they attribute his healing power to that of Satan. And you see there's a stark contrast from then on to Jesus' ministry. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I've shared, you've rejected. I've shared, you've rejected. I've healed, you've rejected. Now I'm opening this up to anybody. And it gets far more personalized and individualized to people to say, repent and believe in the gospel. And it's not just for Jewish people, but it's also for Gentiles. And you see in the beginning of chapter 13, it says a crowd of people are around Jesus. And Jesus got into a boat and he backed up against where the mountain is and so that he can speak to all these people. Now, in this room, or excuse me, it's not a room, he's outside. There's not usually boats inside rooms. Um, In this story, this parable, um, in this story, this account, Matthew is saying Jesus is speaking loudly to people who are there who want to follow Jesus, who want to know more about the gospel, and there are people who are just there because they want things from Christ. And Jesus shares this parable. And the parable in itself would have been unique. People would have understood what it was like to be a sower. They would have understood the... the, um, the imagery of people sowing seeds, it would have been all familiar to them. And then his disciples come to him. And another account, Mark and Luke says that not only his disciples, like the 12, but other people who were curious, they were intrigued. They say, can you tell us what this means? And why are you speaking in these parables? And Jesus says, well, here's why I'm speaking in parables. To some people, they receive it and they believe it. And whatever they have, whatever little faith they have, more is going to be given. I'm going to just reveal myself. And to others who don't have anything, even what they don't have, they're going to lose more. And what he's talking about, there are people who hear the gospel and they understand just enough to say, Jesus, give me more. I want to give my life to it. And there's some people who go, no, thank you. No, thank you. 
And Jesus, speaking of the Israelites, says this. He goes, what Isaiah prophesied about thousands of years ago is being fulfilled in them. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. If they would, they would repent, turn to me, and I would heal them. And then he gets to it and he says, but blessed are you, or happy are you, content are you, who have these eyes. And he says to them, do you realize just by being near to me, just by listening to my message and understanding it, you are seeing what righteous people and prophets long ago, what they long to see. And I love that word that Jesus used here for long. Because it's used elsewhere, even in 1 Peter, speaking of the same thing about how these prophets long to see what we have. And the word long is a Greek word, epithemia. And it's the same word that we use for lust. And there's this, there's this, this desire for the prophets of old of saying, when is this gospel going to fully play out? Because when it does, it's going to be magnificent. And Jesus is saying, what they long to see, you have just before you. You have it in me. And everything that you desire will have its fulfillment in me. And he says, now that you're here, let me explain to you this parable. And as Jesus explained this parable, he gives three things that thwart this gospel living, this kingdom living. And it's a hard heart, a rootless heart, a distracted heart, and the thing that grows is a dedicated heart. So here's Jesus' word, verse 18. He says, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so in, in the, um, the scripture that you had read during our scripture reading time was Jesus tells the parable. And the parable was that a man went out and had seed. And the picture was that you had a guy going out with a bag of seeds, and as he's taking the seeds, some of the seeds, they fell along the path. Now, in this particular area, from a geographical stand, standpoint, there was fields everywhere, but there was also people walking everywhere, and so there would be these well-worn paths that were hard. If you can think about um, going hiking or going on a trail, what you see, there's certain trails that people have walked on for years, and it's really hard. And he says the seeds that fell on that, when Jesus is telling the parable, he says what happens is the seeds are there, they don't go deep because the soil is hard. It doesn't go anywhere. But the birds come and they snatch it away. And he says, okay, you heard that part? Here's what's happening. That's when people hear the gospel. They hear about God's love for them. They hear about Christ dying for them. They hear about God himself going to redeem them by faith and trusting in God and God alone. And he says, but what their hearts are so hard, they reject it. They're just unresponsive. They, they, have, they, have, they have no sense of understanding. They don't desire it. Um, if anything, maybe they're hostile towards it. They, they may not be necessarily anti-spiritual or anti-religious people. They may be very religious, very spiritual, but they don't trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so they have very hard hearts. And what I love what Jesus does here, he doesn't just say, it's just hard hearts. He says, Satan comes and distracts him. Like he's real, and he reigns as well. Not that he reigns over God, but there is the kingdom of Satan. There is the reality. And the way the apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, he says that there's the God of this age that is blinding the hearts of people. Now, before we say, oh, I know somebody who's got a hard heart. I, I know who they are. All of us are born with that heart. We don't come into this world uh, screaming, Jesus, your way, not my way, right? Mom, anything you need me to do? I know I just got here. No. Like babies come, right? like, babies come out crying, and if you can translate it, it's like, my way, 
give me the pacifier, give me the doctor, come here, clean me up. Right? I mean, it's just like everything. It's, 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 there's not a heart that's born into this world that's like, I want Jesus. We all have hard hearts. And what you're going to see here is there's no difference. Um, or the issue here is not the sower. So it's not how we share the gospel. The issue is not about the seed. The, the gospel is the gospel. It's good news. It's the soil, but it's not so much um, um, the dirt in itself. It's how it's cultivated, how it's prepared. Dirt is dirt. And Jesus says, Satan is scooping up the seeds. And some of you, that's who you are. Maybe you're here. Maybe you came last week for Easter, and maybe you came back again. Um, but you would say by your own words, I don't believe this. I'm, I may not be hostile towards it. I may not be angry at God. Um, I may not even be uh, irritated by hearing it. But when I hear Christ's love for me and his death, it sounds like some mystery. It sounds like uh, something of uh, Homer. Um, it just sounds like something, just fantasy. It, it's not real to me. And therefore, there's a rejection of it. And Jesus is saying that's a very dangerous, dangerous place because that's a hard heart. And it's going to take the cultivation of that soil in order for the seed to go deep. And so Jesus says that's what's happening in your life, and that's what's happening with some people that hear the gospel, they immediately reject it. Well, then he goes from a hard heart to a rootless heart. And if you continue the reading, reading with me here in verse 20, it says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately falls away. And so the way that the seed looks this way, the, the farmer has a seed, he's walking down, and, um, and he plants some seed on some soil. And in certain areas, there was topsoil that was there, but underneath it, there was limestone, about six inches deep. And so this was the seed that went on the soil, was watered, taken care of, and then it began to grow immediately. In fact, what they would say is that this particular flower would be more beautiful than all the other flowers, faster and quicker. Um, but because there was no root, it would hit the limestone, grow up fast, and eventually when the sun hit it, it would scorch it out and wither away very, very quick. It would rise real quick and then go down really, really quick. And Jesus says, this is what's happening. This is someone who hears the gospel and there's joy. They're excited. There may be even a huge emotional response, like my life for Jesus and nothing else. And, and what happens is when persecution and or tribulation because of the word, meaning you begin to live for Jesus, and you begin to see that the gospel in itself has demands upon your life and the way you live your life. And then what happens with friends, with people, coworkers, when there begins to be pushback and gets your life because of the gospel. When, when, um, meaning, if the cultural things and the biblical things are parallel, everything's great. But as soon as the things in the culture, the teaching of the culture, or what's acceptable or not acceptable in the culture, begins to buck back, to live counterculture, these people say, no, thank you, I'm not in it anymore. They kind of fade away. Tribulation, those are hard times, and persecutions. I mean, anything that goes against your faith, that you say, I'm tapping out, no, thank you. This, this is hard. This is really, really hard. This particular soil, this rootless soil or rootless heart, is we all know people like that. In fact, you may say, that's, that's me. And, and, and life is usually lived up here or lived down here. And, and, and this, as a pastor, it's the hardest because we can't, you know, maybe some of you think that God has given us a special lens that we can see things you can't see. We can't, Right? And when you look at someone's life and they begin to look like what the Bible describes as a Christian, you're like, gun-ho, and you should be, and all of us should be. And then when that person just kind of goes, never mind, it's like, what happened? 
Like, what happened? Like, you were all in. What happened? When I was a high school pastor, this was hard, and I had to guard my, myself from growing cynical because when I first got in the ministry and I'd see these kids have these incredible camp moments, um, I was a pastor at the Redemption Gilbert Congregation, and we would take people to Point Lomer every, every year uh, for summer camp, and we would, we would have these, just these moments and conversations where leaders would be talking to their kids, and their kids would be giving their life to Jesus, and it was just like, when I get home, I'm going to live for Christ, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess all my sin to my parents, I'm going to give them all of my video games, I'm just going to take it, right? <laughs> right? And it was just like this amazing thing, and then like months later, weeks later, sometimes years later, it was like, done, done. And uh, I used to have just this cynical heart. Like, every time I would see a moment at camp, like, oh, yeah, they're going to love Jesus now. They're going to get home and probably kill their parents. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, and it's like, that's ah, not encouraging, right? <laughs> but the truth be told, just the reality of it is, I have plenty of high school students that were, were high school students in, um, in Gilbert that are here, that are college students and post-college students that love Jesus, and it's amazing. And then there's people that I see around the same city that I run into that I'm like, I remember when they were 13, 14, little boys, little girls, and they are, and just loving the Lord who are so far away from God. And it's just, that breaks my heart, right? And we have children like that. We have family like that. And we see this. And Jesus is saying the cares of this world, world, uh, or excuse me, he's saying that persecution and tribulations, that it withers away. Now, part of the reason is, is our fault, my fault people like me who are preachers and people like you who are Christians, is that we want people to believe the gospel so much that sometimes we're not even giving the fullness of what the gospel is. We tell them about the love of God and we give them a lot of grace, but we give them no truth. When you ever see Jesus um, and you see the life of Jesus, people sometimes like to go, look at he was with prostitutes and he was with sinners. But look how he interacted with them. If you look at the woman who's caught in adultery, if you look at the, the, prosti- the, the prostitutes, if you see the people who encountered Jesus, he showed them grace for sure. But then he also said, he always says this, go and sin no more. Meaning if you trust in the gospel and all that Christ has done for you, that there is a transformation, there's a life, obedience is, is necessary. Um, obedience, um, excuse me, the gospel in itself doesn't necessitate ob- obedience, meaning you don't have to be obedient and then God loves you. God already loves you, but when you receive that love, and following Jesus, the picture that he gives us is, is not um, Disneyland, right? Sometimes when we share the gospel, it's like, your life's going to be better. It depends on what you mean by better, right? Because if you say better because I'm going to have the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, I'm going to be loved by God. I've been adopted into his family, and I have a community of brothers and sisters for all eternity. Yeah, it's going to be better. But if you mean if you believe in Jesus, then my business is going to go better, maybe for a little bit. Um, my marriage will be better um, if, if you live it in the Lord, but not, it depends on me by better. Um, if I trust in Jesus, will I get a spouse? Probably not. I mean, like, that, there's, no, there's not a promise. All, none of it never promises that. Never. But sometimes when we present it, it's presented in such a way that people go, yeah, don't I get a car with that? Yeah, I'll sign up for that. It's like, no, you'll get baptized today, you will get a free T-shirt. <laughs> but that, that, has nothing, <laughs> that has nothing to do with you believing in Jesus. Now everyone's like, oh, I think I'm going to get baptized today. <laughs> is there an extra large over there? Or excuse me, extra medium? I know how we do it here. So there's, 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 this, um, there's this sense that when we preach the gospel sometimes, we have to call it the way Jesus gives the picture. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Like that doesn't, that's not a beautiful picture. But what he's saying is, um, the way they treated me, they're going to treat you. That's a promise. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now take hold, he says, I've overcome the world, meaning you will overcome the world in me, but not in your own means. So the first soil is a hard heart. 
And the second one, it's rootless. It looks like the real deal, but it doesn't go deep enough. And you want to know what my prayer is daily for this church. My daily prayer, if there's one consistent prayer that I have, is that we would grow deep. Not that we would just grow numerically. The way it will grow numerically to me is, is, is by growing deep. And that means when the winds and the storms and persecution and tribulation, because here's the reality. We live in a particular culture that for a while there are certain issues and topics that the culture was parallel with the church. It is no longer that way, and it's only going to get worse. And I believe what God is allowing through that is, is, is somewhat of a pruning process to say, my people, will you trust me when it's no longer cool? Will you trust me if you may have to lose a job? Will you trust me if all of a sudden living for Jesus makes you feel awkward? I had this moment just the other day, and I'm like an evangelist. I love telling people about Jesus. And I had my all of life is all for Jesus shirt on. And, um, and I was out like in, in Tempe somewhere, um, and I was walking around campus, and uh, ASU's campus, not here. Around here, everyone's Christian, I think. Um, at ASU... It's not the case. And everyone kept looking at me, and I'm like, oh, they're looking at my shirt. And I kind of got weird, like, oh, all of life, cover the Jesus part, right? (laughs) And if you guys are here last week for Easter, it's like, I used to wear a shirt with a rhino on it. I can't wear a shirt with Jesus on it, right? Like, and and honestly, it just kind of hit me like, wait a minute, no. Like, and I'm not promoting witness wear, but I'm just saying, like, I should be able to to say, yeah, all of life is all for Jesus. Um, When we, as people, begin to embrace the gospel, you have to realize we have to pray for our roots to grow deep because it's coming. It's coming. Um, And if we're not rooted in the heart and life of God, we ourselves will be just tossed to and fro. Leaders, pastors, people, all of us, because you see it. And so my prayer, if you want to join me for my prayer, it's just our roots will go deep in the heart of Christ. Amen? Hard heart, rootless heart. And then you have a distracted heart. Here's what Jesus says here in verses 21 and 22. Or excuse me, 22. He says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Okay. This is the one. Like for me. If I'm going, I can identify with these. Hard heart at one point, yeah. Um, Shallow heart, um, no, no, no. I really, really love the Lord. But if I'm distracted, this distracted heart, um, the picture here, man, this is a great imagery, is Jesus says, this is the seed that went to soil that was actually somewhat cultivated. And the seed went down, and it began to grow. However, there were thorns or weeds next to it. And you've got to understand about Palestinian weeds. They're like six feet tall, right? These are like, these are real, these are like some, some gangster weeds, right? <laughs> These weeds are strong, they're big, and the thing about weeds, and you know this even in our own land, is that they're indigenous to the area, so they can grow naturally. Like, no one is saying, I'm trying to grow my weeds, right? No, they just naturally grow. And so when something that is not indigenous or something that is not in that natural habitat is planted there, it needs to be cultivated even more. There needs to have a a concentration on that particular seed that's that's being grown in this particular garden. And he's saying that, that what happens with these, with these weeds is that they would draw all the nutrients away from any other plant that was there and didn't grow naturally. And so when the gospel comes into our life and we begin to hear the gospel and we begin to hear about Christ's life for us, his death for us, his love for us, his resurrection for us, when we begin to hear about his transformation in us, all of these things are good. They're not natural to our living 
Like there's nothing that we do in this world that is, that is um, readily acceptable to the gospel. What he's saying is what's natural is sin. What's natural is selfishness, not about others. What is natural is keeping things to ourselves, not being generous. And he says, so when you hear the gospel, it says that what happens is they grow together and then the world and sin in itself begins to suck the life out of you. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. And here's the thing about sin when it's deceitful. You don't know it. Every time I hear somebody say, I know sin's deceitful. No, you don't. Go look up the word deceitful. We really don't know. The best thing that we can do is we can ask people around us. And I always challenge you, ask your spouse, hey, be honest with me. Ricardo mentioned something today. What's an area of my life that I'm not seeing? And, and say and promise no excuses, right? I'm not going to give you excuses why. Just be honest with me and, and give your spouse that freedom. They'll tell you, right? But you, you can't come back with excuses because I know sometimes they'll tell Holly, tell me, tell me. And as soon as she says something, I'm like, oh, well, here's why, right? <laughs> it's like that doesn't work. Just tell you or your friends. Hey, is, is, is the deceitfulness of sin and maybe even riches, am I being blinded by this? And many of us, we don't think that we're blinded by riches because we're like, we don't have any riches. Um, we know people who are, you know, the rich people, and it's like, no, 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 just, just trust that it's in you. Trust that Jesus is saying this for a reason. And the cares of the world does not have to just mean money. You know what they usually are? They're really good things that we make absolute things. They're family, um, relationships, vocation, our recreation, our personal time. Our money, all of these things are good things. Our education, um, what we're going to do with our lives, all of them really good things that those become the things that we think about more than anything else. And they begin to choke out our desire for the gospel. That there was a moment in our life, there was a season in our life, or maybe years in our life, where we were so fixed upon Jesus, our eyes were fixed upon him, we gazed upon him. And everything that we did, the way we worked, the way we recreated, all of those things flowed from the life and love of Christ. And what happens is we become distracted. And some of us know what that's like. I am, I am easily the most distracted person you will ever meet. It is very hard for me to pay attention. What? No, I'm sure. Right? It, like, honestly, I have ADD, ADD, ADHD, all the other stuff that they probably don't even know about. I have it all, right? And spiritually, I have that too. It's always something going on. And I can get excited about anything, really. I can get excited about anything for about 60 days. Give me about 60 days, I'm your guy. After that, I forgot about whatever it was that we were talking about. My wife always says, uh, you speak in hyperbole. I'm like, I never do that, right? That, that's, that's just kind of me. And so I could easily get distracted, easily. And many of us are in that place. Our eyes are on Jesus. We want to fight. We want to follow Jesus. We don't intentionally take our eyes off of him, but we're not intentionally putting our eyes on him either. And what happens is, I know people who care about their family so much, as they should, that they become saviors of their family. Not Jesus, and he's not the center of it. They don't raise their kids with the covenantal love that God has raised us, and faith that God will save their kids. They read stories, and they do a bunch of good things, but Jesus is really not the center. It's always worrying about this, and always worrying about that, and not really giving it over to the Lord. What happens this time of the year, many people are getting married, and especially in the life of our church, and it's beautiful. And what happens, you want to have a good marriage. You want to have the marriage that was better than your family, your, your parents, or just like your parents because they've had such a good marriage. And what happens is the two of you focus on each other and no one else. Like no one else. There's no service. There's no giving yourself to people. And then Christ is not even in the middle of that. Good things, very good things. The same thing with work. I've been called to provide for my family. And what happens is you work and you work and you work and your family's like, we miss you. 
but I'm providing for you. We don't care, but you need it. And it becomes about work. And especially if there becomes a moment where you're climbing the ladder at work, there's nothing that feels better when you're outside of the home and you're, getting, you're receiving attaboys, whether you're a woman or whether you're a man. And whatever job you're into, and they're saying, you're good, you're good, you're good. If you have one little tiff at home, it's like, they don't love me at home, they love me at work, at work, at work, at work. And you give yourself to that, and Christ is no longer at the center. It becomes the cares of these world, the world that begins to, to choke you out. If, if one, of the, one of the clearest ways that I see people especially younger people, drift is not only money, but relationships. Relationships. What happens is you have an idea of a relationship that you want to be in. You have an idea of the ideal spouse. Um, probably some high school pastor painted a picture that this is the guy you should marry and no other guy. The guy was basically Jesus, right? <laughs> and, and so you're, you're hosed the rest of your life thinking, I need a guy who speaks in tongues, fasts, gives, has three jobs, and it's like, He's a carpenter. I mean, that sounds familiar, right? It's like, no, right? You're never going to marry Jesus. Now, in Tempe, you'll probably marry someone who looks like Jesus. <laughs> but, but you're not going to marry Jesus, right? And so we have these idea, and so we have an idea of what the ideal spouse is like. And over a period of time, we don't find that woman. We don't find that man. And then we begin to compromise, because we desire marriage. And we read through the scripture, and it says it's a good desire. It's a good thing. In fact, the Bible says it's a good thing for a man to find a wife. It's a very good thing. And then what we do is we compromise. And we find ourselves in a relationship that we go, oh, I'm not really sure I should be in this relationship. And then there's affections and attractions and so forth. And before you know it, you find yourself defending a relationship and Jesus and trying to hold on to two. If it's money, if it's your vocation, you're trying to balance two. If you ever try to balance Jesus with anything else, you lose every time. Every time. If Jesus is something that you're just adding into your life and he's a part of it, but he's not central, you lose him all the time. All the time. So the cares of this world, they begin to choke out the word. Here's how it happens for me. It's simple. And it's a discipline that I've had to cultivate. I cannot check my phone when I wake up. As soon as my alarm goes off, no matter how early it is, the first thing I do is I pull out my phone and I look at my email. And I'm trying to get back to email at whatever moment in the hour it is. And usually it's really early and nobody's even awake. And then I'm thinking about that. Then I'm thinking about something else that I got to be able to do. And then what I do is then I check the notifications on my Facebook page because that's really important. And, and, then, and then I do that. And before I've even really like talked to Jesus or anybody, I'm like into this cyber world, right? And um, I haven't hit my needs. I haven't trust. I haven't fixed my eyes upon the Lord. I haven't heard from his word. I've heard from everything else. And those things become the things that I'm so preoccupied with that I begin to go about my day and we could do very good religious things and we can go through activities and really not be centered on Jesus. We could even be talking about Jesus and singing songs and, 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 and coming to church but never really going, oh yeah, it's for him. It's for him. And I think that's, that's a danger zone for Christians. That's a, that's a big danger zone. Hard heart, rootless heart, and a distracted heart. A distracted heart. You know what a distracted heart is like? Let me just give you a picture. And I love this one because this makes sense. If you grow up um, anywhere near a beach, and so I grew up in Southern California, and we went to the beach all the time. And, um, and I swam, believe it or not. Um, and... <laughs> Ironically, no joke, someone came to me, we were talking about this earlier, just before the service, and he was just like, hey, can you swim? And I'm like, that's funny, I'm going to use an illustration. And yes, I can swim. <laughs> he said, because you don't get into the trough. And I'm like, no, I can't swim in the trough, but in the ocean, right? No. 
So what we would do is we would swim, and the way it worked is you would put your, your you know, you put all your towels and your clothes and everything down, and you go in the ocean and you swim. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you would do. But what would happen is, inevitably, you would be way over in, like, Huntington Beach, right? You started in Redondo Beach. Somehow you got way over here, and you look back, and your clothes are way over there. Now, when you went out into the water, you didn't intentionally say, let me swim as fast as I can, as far as I can from all the stuff that I need, right? No. You just went out there, you're swimming, you're riding waves, you're having a good time, and then when it's time, you look back and you go, how did I get here, right? How did I get here? It's the same way when it comes to the deceitfulness of sin. There's a moment where you have your eyes fixed upon the Lord, and you are intentionally fixing your eyes upon him. But what happens is the weeds of this world, the thorns of this world, they begin to suck the nutrients out. And maybe it's a family thing, maybe it's a personal thing, maybe it's a vocational thing. It's all these good things. And what happens is before you even know it, you look back and you go, how did I get here? I was speaking at a deal um, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago actually, and it was like I got a chance to speak in front of all of these, these guys that were like my heroes athletically. And I was sharing the gospel. And one of the guys had gone to the Hall of Fame and he was... And he stuck around, stuck around, and I could see him in the back, and I'm like, this guy clearly wants to talk to me, and I really want to talk to him. I want an autograph. He probably wants spiritual advice. And, and, um, and he comes to me, and he goes, man, you know what? I believe that message, and I was in it. I got, I got saved my second year in the NFL and got married, and it was great. And he had some issues in his life that went down, and he goes, man, I, I miss those days. He self-proclaimed, said, I'm a lukewarm Christian. And he goes, I look back on my 30s, and I look back in my, my early 40s, and I go, that, that's where it was. And he goes, man, and I start doing business after I got done playing, and I start making money, and I'm speaking here, and I'm going around speaking my testimony to all these different places and realize I am so far from God. And he drifted. And all of us, as a church, as people, as pastors, anybody can drift unless we are intentionally focusing on God, which leads me to our, our last soil the way in which we live into this kingdom. The way we live into the kingdom is what Jesus says this here in verse 23. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. He's saying, this is, this is what happens with the soil that's cultivated. The spirit of Christ begins to do something, and he's talking to the people who not just listen to the first parable, but the people who came and said, tell me more, the people who intentionally sought him, the people who said, I want to follow you, the people who were not just giving lip service, but saying, everywhere you go, I, we will be. They're disciples of Jesus, that they give their whole life to him. They understand the demands. And he says, to those people they, that, that have the soil, the good soil, he says, the seed goes in, the power of the gospel, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and it affects every area of their life. And he says, to those people, they will produce fruit. Fruit doesn't give you belief, but belief will always lead the fruit. Always. There's not a person who has ever trusted Jesus that will not bear fruit. You may say right now, Ricardo, I've been walking with Jesus. I haven't seen any fruit for a while. Here's what I would say. Um, Just like any tree that you see in this state or wherever state you come from, there are seasons, even though you are rooted, there's not a lot of fruit. Give it time. Give it time. Continue to cultivate it. Continue to put yourself before the face of God. Continue to put yourself in biblical community. Continue to put yourself before the word of God and watch what God does because the power is not in you. It is in the gospel in which God has given you. Now, here's what Jesus is saying to which I love this picture. When he says um, to those who receive it, that word re- receive has the um, energy behind it of a, a, not a guest coming to your house that stays for a while. We've all had that before, like in-laws or not necessarily in-laws, but maybe in-laws who stay for a little bit. And after a while, you're like, when are they leaving, <laughs> right? 
that's not the picture there. The picture is people who come into your house and stay forever. And it says these are the people that have believed upon the gospel, and it dwells in their life. You know what this looks like? Just from a picture of the kingdom. It is every single one of us are boring doing our own, our own thing. The way we work is done in a certain way. The way we vote is done in a certain way. The way we do recreation is done in a certain way. The way we do life is done in a certain way, whatever lens we have. Um, whether it's a philosophy we believe in, whether it's a false religion we believe in, it's our way. When we hear the gospel and we embrace it, not in a hard heart or a rootless heart, not even on a distracted heart, when we have our eyes fixed upon Jesus and we realize he's never leaving us, we love him because he first loved us, there is repentance. You turn and you look at him and what comes in your life as you walk with Jesus is now you begin to do work in a way that brings glory to him. You begin to do relationships in a way that brings glory to him. You begin to do family in a way that he is central, that the life of Christ is central. That you are what Jesus talks about, a vine, or excuse me, a branch that's connected to the vine. And he is the sustenance of your life. That growth in itself and transformation in itself, that obedience flows out of the life and love of Christ. And that you walk with Jesus. That's how you enter into this kingdom. And the way that you grow in this kingdom, you wake up the next day and you do the same thing. You repent and you believe, and you take steps in faith and trusting in Christ. That obedience comes from Jesus. You wake up the next day, you repent, and you believe. You look to Christ, and your strength flows from him. And what Jesus is saying is, that person will produce fruit. 30, 60, 100. Some of you are going to produce 30. That's okay. It's good. It's fruit. Some of you are going to do 60. Some of you are going to do 100. Here's what you shouldn't do. Hey, what do you think you have? Are you 60? Because I think I'm 100. No, 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 no. Repent and believe. Here's the most important spiritual disciplines in cultivating a soul where the gospel grows. Repent and believe. God will produce the fruit. The farmer never produces fruit. The farmer's out there working his tail off, though, cultivating the soil. We cultivate the soil. We put ourselves before God's word, his people, confession, repentance, communion, all of those things. But those things were not grows the fruit. We trust in God to grow the fruit. Amen? So our prayer is, as we live in the kingdom, we're a very fruitful church that trusts in Jesus, and we love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that even the cultivation, Lord, is something that is a gift from you and by you. We thank you for your life and your love. We thank you for your son. God, we thank you that we have been given ears to hear, and we pray for those in the room who have not, that you, they would be extended, be extended the same grace and which we have been extended. Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood, which secures for us our relationship with you. We thank you as we celebrated last week, but every week, Lord, a resurrection and a new life in which we have in you. God, as we even today get an opportunity to celebrate baptism, Lord, help us remember our baptisms. Help us remember what you have done in our life and what you're doing in our life. How the word of God is true, that he that begin a good work will complete it, that we don't have to be fearful of falling away. We don't have to be fearful of having a hard heart, that if there's a desire in our life for you, God, it's because you place that desire there. And we thank you that you don't take that desire away, but you grow it. And so if there's anything in our life, Father, that is deadening our affections for you, any weeds that we are allowing to sprout up and suck the life out of us, God, that we would repent and ask that you would remove it, that we may walk closer and walk with Jesus, who is simultaneously walking with us. God, we ask that we pick up our cross collectively as a whole congregation, old and young, young in faith and mature in faith, and walk closely with one another and closer to you. May your word be confirmed in us by the power of your spirit. God, we thank you 
God, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.